podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Gabe Lezra. I am joined uh, on a very, very eventful weekend uh, in La Liga by Kian Sobani. Kian, uh, big weekend. Man, Madrid La- uh, picking up some points. La Liga is so much fun. Like you and I were talking about it off air that about half an hour before we started recording is was the game at Benito Villamarín and Betis lose 6-3 and... And a game you could probably talk a whole hour about because there was there was so many things going on in it. But it was so cool. I mean, yeah. Betis was actually down four nothing. They cut the lead to four three, and then uh, Valencia put two more past them. It's an incredible match. Like, yeah. very fun. Tons of awesome stuff going on in La Liga because um, it's amazing that there's this narrative of this of this competition that it's like not competitive and boring and whatnot. When like it could not be farther from the truth. No, I mean, um, I mean, it's a narrative we we basically hear every year, and every year it's like, oh my god, we it's not actually boring at all, and it's actually really good from top to bottom. And this year it's even better, top from top to bottom, because we don't have those three nightmare teams that left us. No, it's true. Gijon also, and, like Valencia is finally becoming yeah, that team that that Valencia's they used to back, be. Right, yeah. they're they're really back. I'm not sure they're like legitimate title contenders, given how much Real Madrid and Barca are super teams, but. You know, Valencia really in the conversation as a powerhouse in Europe now. I think that they like when you know eventually, like if they keep playing like this, they're going to make noise uh, outside of Spain and just Spain. So it's 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 really great. I mean, it's a really cool time to be a fan of this sport in this uh, in in Spain, uh, and I think that's why so many people are enjoying watching it more. Uh, so the Real Madrid news, Real Madrid. We're going to be talking about this match. Um, Real Madrid uh, 2, Hetafe 1 in um, Hetafe, uh, and Madrid pick up two important points as Barcelona go to the Wanda and draw Atletico for the, you know, unfortunately, uh, it did look like Atletico had, had this game, and then they, they, they choked it out. So Madrid only pick up two points rather than three, but now Madrid's only five back of Barcelona, so that's how long, this is a long season, guys, so strap in. Yep. I mean, it could have been. I, I was really frustrated watching Atletico yesterday because I, it just felt like their counterattacks were so bad. And apart from that start when they started to really pin Barca, I thought, and I don't even think Barca were particularly good, but I think Atletico could have killed this game. But they just, their counterattacks were brutal. They were slow. They couldn't get out of Barca's counterpress. Um, but 
two points drop for both teams. Yeah, I mean, like I, that's pretty good from our perspective. Yeah, it's one of those things where when you're dealing with two direct competitors for the title, you actually do want them both. They want them to draw just because it's the most points total that you can pick up. Uh, but all of that being said, it, it's hard to view this Atletico team as a legitimate title contender this season, I think, at least the way they've started. They look terrible. Uh, I mean, they've drawn so many matches, totally toothless. I mean, I, to- I believe they can come back and turn it around, but they're not a particularly inspiring you know, title contending squad. Like they, They're very strong. Obviously, like this was a, almost a perfect classic Simeone game, except for like not really being able to counterattack particularly well mm. in that he basically gave Barca 75% possession, but Barca looked incredibly toothless until the last 20 or so minutes of the match. Well, we know like Atletico not having the ball, that's like, it's their comfort zone. Like they're not bothered by it in the least. They're not unnerved. And uh, again, it was just like their counterattacks were slow. They were lethargic. I wasn't sure, you know, what they're, aim was to get in the final third it wasn't clear to me um and again barson not that impressive but you know nick de stefani one of our patrons before this podcast sent us a message uh on the facebook on our facebook page and he he showed us like the goals for and goals against and it's kind of crazy because barcelona's goal difference is differential is so much better than everyone else's in the league and it's not even particularly close um yeah i mean barcelona has I mean, fundamentally, they've they've looked very good. That's again, that's buoyed by you know three plus own goals and uh, <laughs> I mean, like and a little bit of you know putting their chances away in a way that they are out outperforming their goal expected goals average. But they're yeah. they yeah they look really good. I mean, you know, and and obviously comparing to uh, Madrid side that has been all all season struggling to find that finishing touch. Uh, and and vastly underperforming the expected goals, you know it's 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 a stark contrast. Barca has something like twenty three plus goals scored and and only about seven conceded. And Madrid is more like um, you know sixteen and 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 you know seven or eight. So well, this is why we have the eye test essentially um, to kind of to to de- dig deeper like past the stats and the goals for and against. By the way, Barcelona's goal differential actually is only they've only conceded three. So yeah, um, not only are they knocking in the chances that they're getting and getting a little bit lucky, you know, to get some other chances like own goals, they're also not conceding, which also includes, you know, getting a little bit lucky, having teams hit the post, that kind of stuff. But look, it it, it also it's also not a lie, right? Like those stats aren't lying. This is still a very, you know, strong side that's been playing very very well. Yeah. Um, and so Madrid needs to needs to rise up. Uh, you know, in every every La Liga match going forward, basically, because you can't expect a team that's playing that well to drop many more points. So, well, it's like this is the story of Barcelona under the Messi era. Like even after Xavi retired and Iniesta, by the way, like yesterday was like the first time I really looked at Iniesta and I was like, wow, he's not who he was. Um, yeah, and I and I remember watching him with Spain against Italy, and I was like, you know, if he's surrounded by good players, this is Iniesta still like very good. But against Atleti, I looked at him, and apart from like a couple of brilliant plays, I really like. Yeah. I really like it sunk in. I was like, this is not the same Iniesta. But, but this is the thing: Barcelona and the Messi era it doesn't matter what squad they have on paper, and we go into every season thinking this Barcelona team can't be that good. And right. And last season they weren't overall, and but they're they're always in the conversation. They have to be. Right. Uh, so let's let's transition to talk about Madrid because obviously. <laughs> That's the game that we really want to talk about. Um, 
So uh, it was a m- bit harder sledding for Madrid at Hitafe than than I think most people kind of predicted going in. Hmm. Yeah, it was it was it was difficult, and and Hitafe are a better team um, than than obviously the, the the teams that went down last season, and and they're they're pretty good, and they put up a good fight um, against quite a few good teams in La Liga this season. And I think what obviously doesn't help is that you look at the lineup going into it and then you can count up the positives. One, every single player, not every single player, uh, a lot of the players who played during the international break got a rest. And then you have players like Llorente and Kroos and Marcelo and Benzema. None of these guys, and Lucas Vasquez, none of these guys played during the international break. So this is these are all great luxuries to have. But obviously... The, right. the the you know you get worried because you look at it and Llorente starts the second time this season again in a double pivot with Tony Kroos and obviously that's not his I would say he's better in a single pivot and better with a third midfielder in there um, kind of like the luxury that Casemiro has with Modric and Kroos and if you're not going to have if you're going to rest Modric and you don't have Kovacic why not give Ceballos a run like I know he played during the under 21 uh matches in during the international break but he's also young and he doesn't play much this season so I thought he would have been a, a more interesting choice than Lucas Vasquez but obviously there was a lot of emphasis on the flanks um and not much going down the middle and typically like I think that is exaggerated but I think I think today or on Saturday there really wasn't much movement down the middle and Asensio was typically a guy who can do that he was kind of hugging the left wing which wasn't I think his best role either yeah, it seemed like Zidane made the conscious tactical decision to play on the wings uh, in the in that he set up the team to 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 accentuate that, and then also didn't yeah you know, with the and then didn't you know create a team selection that you know really would have allowed for them to go down the middle if they wanted to. I wonder because the the, the it's interesting the the lineup that I saw projected before this match actually did include uh, includes the Bayos and it. it yeah, it was annoying because you know they didn't include Lucas Vazquez, and that could have been an interesting you know decision um, to start you know Ceballos in the center with Kroos and Llorente uh, and allow a little bit more varied attack. But I mean, it's it was Zidane's choice, and it it did seem like you know there Madrid was making incisive plays through you know from the wings into the center. Like they, it wasn't like the team looked. Uh, you know, the, the, the team looked totally toothless and and impotent, right? Like the they had you know a good you know, did a good job circulating possession and then did actually get quite a few, you know, incisive cutting runs that 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 you know ended up getting a couple goals. I mean, so yeah, it, what's interesting though, right, Kian, is that the second goal, and we'll talk about the the other stuff first. The second goal actually came when Ronaldo broke down through the middle off of a off of a lobbed ball from Isco, who came on as a substitute to provide more. <laughs> you know, more power through the middle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny about the Ronaldo goal is that you, just moments before that, he missed uh, an open net from just a few yards out to a point where I actually wasn't sure if it actually happened. Like I had to like, yeah, I had to poke myself and was like, did that just happen? Did the the statistically greatest player of all time just miss that? Um, and yeah, then the, the I, sec- I, his- I assumed there was a save or something when that ball went out. I was like, "Well, that was a good save." And then I was like, "Wait a minute, he just missed! Like he was wide open." Well, when, then and then you you look at his goal and the degree of difficulty is obviously much harder because he times his run perfectly. 
Um, and then one of the Qatafi players actually steps up, tries to catch him offside, and he fails miserably because the whole line is behind him. I don't know if that was his intention, but he stepped up to, to close, close the pass down or something. And Ronaldo timed his run perfectly. He controlled it. And a far post finish. It was really, it was a really great goal. And um, I think that that moment will be so huge if you if you look at the end of the season and you think, yeah, one one. If that game finishes one one, and if imagine if like Atleti, um, you know, don't hold on at the end either. And you know, these are the moments that really define the league. Yeah, exactly. It's it's every. I mean, look, it's it's always been every week, but it's every week. So. Yeah. You know, and and we talk a little bit about like Madrid not being able to capitalize on opportunities. Well, we this this week was circled because yeah, you know, this is a t- arguably Barcelona's you know toughest trip that's not going to the Bernabeu. Um, and mm-hmm. so you if they're going to drop points, this was one of the weekends that they might. And Madrid really did need to win this match at the very least to put the pressure on Barca going into Atletico. And if you know if not. It was very likely. I mean, it's interesting because, of course, it's a tough trip, but also Barcelona doesn't lose to Atletico very much. So there was also on the other side, like the historical, you know, spread of points against Simeone playing against Barcelona is really shocking. Uh, He (laughs) I don't know if you saw this game, but he's actually never beaten Barcelona, Simeone. So. Uh, with with his Atletico, so it's like <laughs> it was very really? very annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should... Does that include Champions League too, or like just La Liga? No, I don't. I, it was just talking about La Liga. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's insane. Yeah, it <laughs> so, is. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, it was just this is a tough. This was a tough week, um, and Madrid really did need to win it. And they ended up pulling it out, despite you know they're doing their best job to pull the feet or uh, I guess a draw from the jaws of victory. Um, so let's talk about that first goal because it came off of the back of arguably the most important and best player on the pitch, uh, who was Karim Benzema, who had actually a really, really good game. I thought Benzema was great. Um, you know, it's funny because we get so scrutinized for the term link-up play to the point where I think fans just <laughs> mock us and use it sarcastically. Oh, my God, managing Madrid, link-up play, link-up play, link-up play. Um, guess what? His <laughs> link-up play was really good. It uh, was. <laughs> he had like this that outrageous control in the area and just lay up to Ronaldo, which Ronaldo couldn't score. And I thought that was like I was like, wow, that, that was such a nice play. Um, just the degree of difficulty to even control that and lay it off. Um, and his goal was really clinical and and, and yeah. well taken. You know, dr- drooling by a number of the um, Hitafe players. Then you saw the classic Benzema move where he looked up right before he shot to see if there was an easier square pass he could make, and he didn't see one, so he took the shot. I mean. That is Kareem Benzema in a nutshell, right, where he breaks on goal, but his first instinct is to find the easiest goal. And it's not, I'm going to score, it's we are going to score, and I'm going to help find the easiest ball. Hmm. And in that case, the easiest ball, like the easiest, highest percentage shot on goal was him shooting. But if Ronaldo was wide open in the center, he would have squared it, no doubt in my mind. Um, This is significant enough to mention, but he passed Rento. On the all-time goal-scoring list, and uh, he did it in half the amount of games. Which Pirlo was not a striker, and you know that's cool. But I think when you look at Benzema's goal-scoring ratio, which is 0.49, um, cons- considering that he was never like the main goal scorer in his team, he had to compete with Iguain, um, and you know he was he wasn't a sure st- starter, and you know he. 
0.49 is actually really impressive. Like we lived in a time where we grew up in a time where before Messi and Ronaldo, you know, kind of defied what a good statistical right. goal scoring ratio is. Because I think it's a bit skewed now. Like, oh my God, you're not scoring over a goal a game. Like, who are you? Right, but, but you before know, f- this, right, yeah. it was like the best of the best, like Van Nistelrooy, like the classic goal scorers were going to get, you know, maybe 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.7 at yeah. most, right? I mean, I even 0. 0.5 was, like was impressive as a striker, like yeah. going up early, like turn of the century. I think like if you go way back, maybe Hugo Sanchez defied that a bit and he was more clinical than his peers. But 0. 0.49 for a, a player who's who was never the main goal scorer on the team is really impressive. Yeah, and this uh, is a large sample size. This is not like half a season statistics, you know. Right, and it's important to remember that he really has never in his career been the most important goal scorer on the team because literally he came the same year as Cristiano Ronaldo, so his yeah. career and Ronaldo's career track exactly together. Yeah. and so he's never been asked to carry the goal scoring load for the team in the way that some of these other tr- strikers were. So even with that in mind, like Benzema's point four nine is is especially with that in mind, it's quite impressive. And if you add in his assists, like it, it, it's even better, right? So a goal yeah. plus assists per game is, is even better, which is not traditionally the case with, with kind of pure nines. And it just kind of exemplifies what he does and what he brings to the, brings to the match. I did want to bring up, Keon, in the, so in the beginning of the second half, Hitafe uh, mm-hmm. scored on what I thought, frankly, was not great defense. And mm-hmm. it was part of the entire thing that we've been seeing this season from Real Madrid's defense, which just felt like a little bit like lackadaisical defending with a little bit of cheating to try to win the ball and not playing fundamentally sound defense. And, you know, with, with, you know, and obviously they punished the mistakes, right? But it's not, not ideal to see this kind of goal go in. It's better. It feels better as a fan to watch the other side score a goal that, feels very much more like technically perfect, right? Like a long, beautiful shot or whatever. And this mm. this is the kind of stuff that you get beaten to the near post, that you lose your marker, that kind of stuff. People are going to kill you at this level, especially when we get into playing against Harry Kane, right, on uh, Tuesday. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I It's funny because right after Katavi scored, my mentions just filled up because they, they, they immediately took note that Marcos Llorente scored an own goal, which didn't even turn out to be an own goal in the end. I think it was it was awarded to It was not scored an own goal. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't noted in the referees on Pagas an own goal. Um who was uh, who was it that scored the goal? But I can't I can't remember enough for something. I have to I have to do a, do a double check, but um he was offside, wasn't he? He beat Nacho to the ball. No, it, it, it was. It was it yeah. was pretty clearly offside. Another yeah. one of these classic refereeing decisions, but you know, fundamentally, like, you can't control that, and you can control, like, some of the things that went wrong leading up to, uh, and including the marking on the actual goal itself, I yeah. think. Yeah, so, like, if you're just, so it was Jorge Molina who snuck in, and, um, yeah, if you're talking about the actual defense, I think that has been a recurring thing this season, and you noted on Twitter, actually, you, you put a tweet out and saying that the problems this season are more so the de- defensive miscues more so than the offense because the offense is kind of this thing like you look at the eye test and you're missing chances and your expected goals are high and that should normalize the season um but then you look at the goals Real Madrid give away and they're totally preventable 
Exactly. And yeah. that that's part of the issue. And the prevent and, and some of them, you know, have been preventable through just more effort. Like sometimes like it just feels like players are getting beaten in, in positions that they don't need to be. And obviously Madrid has, and we know this, had three or four goals that have been scored in offside positions. So it's not exactly the defender's fault, but you do want you know, you really don't want to give up goals where people beat you to, you know, your zone marking, right? So, and it feels like that, that, uh, I, you know, I don't have the stats to back this up, but I've seen a number of our goals conceded, Madrid's goals conceded have included b- blown coverages on kind of effort plays. And that is what's really worrisome to me because it's not fundamental football. And that you know is the kind of thing that doesn't normalize. That's the kind of thing that continues to be punished over the course of the season. And obviously, if Madrid's scoring like four goals a game, or or even coming close to their normal expected goals, right, which is about three per game, then you know one or two of these a game isn't going to be that big a deal. But they're not right now, and these defensive issues are much more magnified given the slight unluckiness of the offense, right? Because that's sort of what's going on with respect to the expected goals stuff, like. These are chances that mo- most teams score. So, yeah. you know, well, you, you, I mean, you, on one hand, you could say that these issues um, don't appear in big games because Real Madrid step up, but they actually have been. And you know, against Dortmund, we in a game where we outscored Dortmund and played really good, um, there was a lot of issue marking the near post. There was miscommunications. Um, Right before Obama Young scored, they nearly scored again because it was a completely unmarked player at the near post, yeah. even though there was like three or four Real Madrid players in the box. Um, and guess what? Even if even if we have this idea, and, and which is true, that Real Madrid do step up in big games, we also need to step up in small games. I think that's the issue. Yeah, and, and there really aren't you know big and small games when... Uh, I mean, even one slip up it, it, you know this weekend could have cost the league title in a way that Madrid isn't out of it yet uh, and they wouldn't have Madrid wouldn't have been out of it even if Barcelona were at seven you know and obviously not at five but at 10 points it's a very different Liga um, and so any more drop points at this point are really really going to be tough to handle so it's very hard to imagine La Liga being anything but big games right now yeah yeah uh, and I hope that that's something that you know, Zidane is talking about. Let's talk. Um, let's talk a little bit about you know the come from behind. Well, come from behind, but the last minute goal, right? So, Real Madrid scores in minute 84, 85 um, to win the match. And as you mentioned, it came only a couple of minutes after Madrid missed an absolute sitter. I gotta tell you, it looked to me from about when Isco came on, right through the end of the match, that Madrid was. I, I hadn't felt this way in previous matches because it felt like everything was going wrong. But it did feel like Madrid was creating a lot of chances and there was some confidence that the ball was going to go in finally. And, you know, when Ronaldo missed that sitter, I, I started to question it, but then he scored. So this yeah. that is much more, um, yeah, the, 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 the East Coast sub proved to be absolutely crucial in this match. He really broke down Hitafe in the middle and, and opened up all the space that allowed for Madrid to get chance after chance from about minute 80 on. And I don't know, I... Um, I kind of think that that shows that someone playing like an East Coast position on this team, i.e. Ceballos, could have mm-hmm. been really helpful throughout the entire match, not just in the last 15 minutes. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. It's funny, like, I was having flashbacks of the game against Levante because it was, like, eerily similar. You had 
Like you had um, <laughs> Llorente and Cruz starting in a double pivot and a lot of emphasis on the flanks. And the goal, the go-ahead goal wasn't coming and Zidane brings on Isco in both games. And he just like felt like against Levante, it was too late. And Real Madrid scored or missed so many chances. It just and then Ronaldo and then Isco came on late in this one. Ronaldo missed that chance. I was like, this is this is the How's Levante this happening? game. Yeah. <laughs> but then he bailed us out with a huge goal, and so yeah. yeah. And it was great to see. I mean, he <laughs> he I, he didn't even celebrate it. Really excited. He was just like fucking finally. <laughs> it was like that. <laughs> That was the attitude that I got from him as he was like running around. He's like, "Oh fuck, <laughs> it took way too long." Like, yeah. But that's what we've always said, Ken, is that as soon as that first one happens, I feel like this is you know going to lead to that ketchup bottle thing where mm. when you squeeze and you squeeze, and now Ronaldo is going to score. And I would expect that. <laughs> that's my feeling. That's what I'm um, hoping. I mean, because it was a very well taken, clinically finished goal that he had. Right? He missed that sitter, and then you get the sense that he was like, oh, come on. And then he got this chance and there was no way he was missing it, even though it was a very tough one to score. You know, he put a perfect volley on it, perfectly placed with a lot of power and slotted it home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this Ronaldo, this is why, this is why he's the goat. This is why the team needs them. This is how he puts the team on his back. And I expect no less. Yeah. Uh, and the pass from each goal, as we mentioned, was absolutely perfect, you know, mm. threaded right over the over the top. Ronaldo didn't even have to control it. The ball just bounced right in front of him, took the volley off the bounce. Beautiful, beautiful goal uh, to seal the three points. And that was a you know absolutely huge moment um, at the at the beginning of a season that was looking really tough <laughs> yeah. for Madrid to turn around at one one and minute eighty five in Hitafe. You know, to to lose another two points to Barcelona potentially is would have been absolutely destructive, just totally, totally unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is huge, huge victory. There's no question. Yeah, absolutely season-saving goal. And we've had we had a few of those last year, so hopefully this is a good it's indication true. that Madrid is is coming back and will will kind of get back that attitude that they had last season, which was really. Uh, there's no way this team is going to beat us. And that's, and that's the crucial thing. Like it, it, it felt at, at various points, like, you know, this team got a little bit freaked out, like in that match in the Bernabeu against Betis, where they didn't seem to have a calm and collected demeanor when, you know, tied in the, in the late, you know, in the, in the last, um, you know, the last minute or so they're like, it's much better to have a smart and composed attacking plan than just whip cross after cross into the box. And, Hopefully they uh, they continue with this, you know, continue to be composed and, and confident going into games where they need to score. That's actually um, a great point and under talked about point. Like, I hope that Zidane took note of that, that the goal came just with patience and sticking with the scheme. Um, right. I mean, he did bring Isco and that was different. But in terms of against Betis, like what you referred to, it wasn't just the crosses. It was the fact that Real Madrid had sent like eight players in the box. And right. then Betty, that's how eventually Betty scored their goal. And, and we all kind of sat here and said, is this really the most conducive way to score? Because you're exposing yourself. Like the, the risk-reward scenario is it's not adding up because you could probably theoretically have the same chances of scoring if you just continue to knock. Exactly. And, and we had seen in that match, and we saw in this one, that there were, there were plenty of opportunities to score. You know, obviously Bale hitting the woodwork in that one, and this one Ronaldo missing that absolute sitter. So... You know, it it wasn't like the scheme wasn't working. Is part of the the point I'm trying to make, right? Like, yeah. 
it's it's when you have to panic is when you're not getting any chances at all at the end of a match like that. Then you can go to kind of desperation stuff. But this Madrid shouldn't be desperate when they're getting chances, and it's actually not a a good way to win a match if you're if you're kind of desperately shifting around your style. It's actually a way to get scored on. Yeah. All right. Um. I don't know if you have unless you have anything else to say. Um. You know, obviously Casilla started in goal. I, mm-hmm. I thought he was okay. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't have that much else in terms of analysis. We can jump into questions. Yeah, I think the questions will address whatever's left over. So let's do it. Cool. All right. So as always, we um, <clears throat> take our questions from our patrons first. If you toss us five bucks um, a month on patreon.com slash managing Madrid, you can ask a question every week or, and you'll get access to the patron podcast and we'll always answer your question. If you toss us less than five bucks a month, you'll get access to the patron to the patron only podcast, but you will not necessarily get your question answered every week. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, obviously do that. Um, we're going to do our best to get through as many of these as we can, but let's jump into our guaranteed patron questions first. Um, Guled Ishmael asks us, um, is it not better to be calm and then analyze Real Madrid's result um, and decide how poor or well Real Madrid play? I feel Real Madrid fans overreact to the smallest thing possible. This is it's probably huge. A, it's a, huge if true, man. It's huge if true. It's probably a good lesson or question to apply to your life, <laughs> not just a Real Madrid <laughs> game. Like just be like, just step back and analyze things rationally think about exactly. it um and because you know like the this we know this firsthand because we've been doing this podcast for over two years now i think i don't know i lost track of time but <laughs> it's been over two years yeah. It, yeah um you know and so we see this firsthand game in game out whether it's yeah uh, we see a player get scrutinized and then the next day they're a hero and and right. everything is doom and gloom one second the next second it's not and in this game, for me, it was the, the post-game comments on Twitter and also in my article where uh, Keon, like, Llorente is not as good as he told us. And uh, he was not good. And by the way, I thought he was he was fine. I didn't like, agree with that. I thought he was fine. I thought he was, <laughs> was fine. I think, I think the own goal thing was, was one that was magnified. But I don't know if that was it. Um, you know, because every, a lot of people, I think, expected Kovacic, who just dribbles through half a team and creates goals. never his game. And though, they're completely right. different players. Like, they're, Llorente is more of like a Busquets-type player, a deep-lying playmaker who will distribute. He reads the game. He reads the passing lanes. He's not going to dribble through, much like Xabi Alonso was never going to dribble through. So they're completely different players. And I would say that, you know, look at the context of it, too. Like, one... It's not his ideal position, and two, you're you're measuring it on what like one game, comparing him to one Modric? game, two like, well, games. What are you doing? I, I don't understand. He's he's a young kid. I can't imagine if we had completely um, decided what Casemiro's career would be. You know, yeah. in like the first yeah, couple games he played for him, or Kovacic, or whoever. Like it, just just breathe. That's that's all I'd say. I mean, before last season, people were absolutely clamoring for Kovacic to be loaned or sold or whatever. And then now he's evolved into this, you know, potential heir apparent for Modric in the center of Madrid's midfield, which is great, right? And people need to chill. Like, Llorente is quite young. The point of having these young talent is to be able to nurture it and to, and to, and to, you know, turn the players into, into what they need to be. And, 
the fact that Zidane feels comfortable playing Llorente out of position is actually a good thing because he'll learn, right, different systems and, and it'll force him to get out of his comfort zone a little bit. And yeah, sure, I wouldn't do that to him right now, but it's it speaks to how much confidence Zidane has in, in this kid that he's going to play him like that, I think. Yeah. I mean, the context of this game is so important because it wasn't just Llorente. It was... It was a, an unfamiliar team, if that makes sense. Like, I know we know these players, but it was unfamiliar in the sense that this is not Real Madrid's quote-unquote identity to have a double pivot and two traditional wingers and then Ronaldo and Benzema up top, um, let alone not your A squad. Um, without Isco, without Modric, without... Uh, I don't know who else was in there. Uh, Asensio started. Bale isn't there. So, like, all these things need to go into context. I think the bigger question is, um, is this B squad as good as last year's B squad? I think that is a bigger question, maybe. But, but I don't, I don't know. I think, I think this game requires a lot of context. I think, I think Zidane needs to figure that part out. Is he going to roll into every small game and hoping that these this same group of players? Will just get better as the season goes on, or will he try different things, or maybe he'll try to to blend in the A team a bit more, and maybe try more, right. you know, replacing like for like I don't know, but I think that is the bigger question. It's not about right know, this game in in a vacuum. There's there was a lot of things wrong with it, but in the right context, rest from the international break, a game against Tottenham coming up, a little bit of a shuffling. A little bit of hoping this team, the B team, is good as last year's B team, which as and it's getting there. I think it's getting mm. better. I think, yeah, it's, it's not there, right? But not, it's getting better. Well, look, I, I imagine we'll see more of Sabayos as the season goes on, and I think that'll help. Yeah, I agree. And you know, it's 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 a work in progress, just like last season's B team was a work in progress. If you remember, the B team was wildly criticized at the beginning because it wasn't getting the results that it needed to get. Um, as was the A team, you know, at the beginning of last season, like Madrid was hanging on, hanging with Barcelona, like kind of doing some lead changes, but they definitely, uh, they definitely weren't this kind of all world beating, you know, behemoth that, that everyone kind of talks about at least at the beginning. And that's because you have to work together. And this is, there are a lot of new players on this squad, you know, then it's obviously there's, there's not that much in the starting 11, but a lot of, a lot of the, the, you know, the B team, what we would call it is essentially new players that don't know each other, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted to mention one thing. There's another thing, Keon, that I forgot to talk about that I wanted to bring up. Um, I saw a lot of criticism for Nacho, um, during this match. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost don't want to get into this because my blood will, will boil, but um, you know, I I saw prominent, well-known journalists just slandering Nacho as if he's he's chopped liver, and my response was like, "There's no way you watch Real Madrid consistently or more than once a year because he's consistently the most reliable, arguably the most reliable player we have. Um, never complains. Is asked to play multiple positions, and he does it because he's a genuine servant of the club, and I." Yeah, I think he could have got there quicker, but the goal was also offside. And yeah, I have no criticism for Nacho. Yeah, I, ha- I uh, have things I've nitpicked with him over the past year, and one of them was the you know getting outlept against Bayern on the corner when we conceded against them. But 
I don't think there was anything for me to, you know, I've been watching for Spain a lot during the international break. He's probably Spain's best defender over, you know, if you look at this whole international break, he's, he's, yeah. his pace continues to amazes us. Just amazing. Yeah, I just wanted to see if you had any response because I, I know that well, I know that you got into it a little bit with some people. It's like, <laughs> but it's it does also it it does seem very clear that that this criticism is not really warranted, and you know, just because it's based on his entire body of work, not just like in the last day, you know, right? It was so you can you know have I mean, and the truth is he didn't have that bad game, but like people were coming at him and. Mm it's really slandering that you're not wrong. Like he was a crucial component of this Madrid side over the last few years. And it's really dumb to, to attack, you know, this guy who they've played all over the pitch in all these different positions, incredibly versatile in a defense that has a lot of injuries. Right. Yeah. So no, but like, you know what the, the thing is that no one who watches this team, even remotely close comes to that conclusion. So I think like, I don't really have an issue with this. I think if, you know, certain people will watch Real Madrid once every now and then, like this game or the game against Bayern because it's a big one and come to this conclusion, it's really ignorant because you just, you, it's not a, it's not a well-formed opinion. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's, let's move on. I just wanted to make sure we touched on that because it was a, definitely a topic of conversation. Anis uh, Atia asks us, um, it seems to me that Florentino has placed his faith in the youth whether they are formed at La Fabrica or acquired as young talent. It also seems to me that the policy of the future will be to form most of these young players, young talented players throughout loan spells or selling them with low buyback clauses. With the imploding transfer market, this will not only be good for the finances, but also ensure that the cream of the crop will eventually be on the team. However, these policies may carry the risk of winning less tro- fewer trophies as some players may turn into a flop. Do you think Florentino will keep faith in Zidane to implement these policies through his rotations regardless of the results? Hmm. Um, obviously, a lot of this has to do with Zidane. So we can say that Florentino has placed his faith in the youth, and he has because he's obliged to it, and that is a huge role. Um, he could he could completely be like, no, this is not a good idea. So that's a huge part of it. Obviously, Zidane is the one who kind of triggers this, and he's spearheading this. Um, and all of this, a lot of this depends on who's the coach, right? I mean, under Mourinho, there wasn't this much emphasis. Uh, I think Mourinho tried to integrate certain youth team players, but it, you know, the vision that Zidane has growing up, not growing up, but being invested in the team emotionally, having his kids play there, coaching Castilla, so much emphasis on players on loan, that is unique. And I think it, all, it is dependent on Zidane a bit. So I don't know if a new, if a new coach ever came would that be carried through? I, you know, it's a good question. Right. Yeah, and and that's part of the thing. Like, so the the issue, it, it, the question is right, regardless of results. And no, the, it just simply won't be regardless of results. Luckily, the results have been pretty damn good so far. So, uh, I I mean, look, I think that in the long term, it's going to really suck. Heart is this little bit of the kind of downturn in Castilla will be tough for Madrid because you know this is. A lot of these youth players that you're seeing moving around actually were on the Castilla team that should have been promoted last season, mm. uh, and one of the and and so now they've all been dispersed, but and they're all playing very well. But the problem with that is that you know there's got to be another crop of players coming up through Castilla to then loan out again, and so it's not just you're not always going to hit on the Asensios, and we have no idea if like Vinicius is going to be anything. Uh, 
so you actually still have to have a productive academy system. And I, I, I think that that will eventually come back. But right now, Castilla is kind of a disaster considering the amount of talent that Madrid has had previously in Castilla. This, this has got to be one of the weakest Castilla sides of the last five or six years even. Yeah, I mean, I considered Castilla last season really weak and this season's on a whole other level. But I think if if you were to somehow find a you know, a positive out of it, that is that even if Castilla is a disaster, the players coming out of it have succeeded in other places. So Llorente was one. And then, you know, this season you have Febas doing well at Zaragoza. Oregard is doing well at, here in Wien. So once they leave and they get a loan spot, they, they tend to do good. <laughs> so Yeah, but it won't always. That. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's true. I, I just I can't imagine that always being true going forward. Um because eventually, if the team is bad, it's because there aren't great players on the team, even if it is being managed totally incompetently, which is the way it has been so far under Solari. Um, you can only imagine, though, Kian, and just to wrap this up, I think uh, we can only guess that eventually Guti will take over from Solari, and it could happen sooner rather than later, the more Castilla hangs around the, the relegation zone. We think. <laughs> Sam Sharp's been thinking that for the past two years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jauzi dos Santos, um, who were the strongest and weakest performers against the Tava I couldn't catch the game. All right. So we talked a little bit about this. Um, I think the outstanding players, uh, uh Benzema is definitely on my list. Um, we I mean, didn't I thought, talk about Ashraf yet. I was about to say, I think that Ashraf looked really good guys. That's he's the real deal. And mm. he is every match we're seeing different. You know stuff that he can bring to the table, and, and he's getting more and more confident. His touch is looking even better than it was. I, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. I think he could be a really confident backup for for Carvajal in in matches like this, and you know maybe matches where we don't require an absolutely stellar defensive presence to win. I think Atraf looks really comfortable, and he's looking more and more comfortable with each passing game. So. To me, like it's a really good sign that you know the fact that he demands the ball. He's not shy with it. He's not like shying in the corner, acting as an outlet. Um, he doesn't look nervous when he gets the ball. To me, that is a great sign. You know, he's not a passenger. He's actively looking for it. And he's not like shaky when he gets hit. These are all really good signs. I'm really, really impressed with Ashraf in that sense. Yeah. Um, I don't have that many other people to add in terms of great performances. Ronaldo obviously was good, but not perfect. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of people who were not really on their game, I felt like, um, I don't know, I didn't think Asensio has been quite there this last couple of weeks. Um, it just seems like the stuff he's trying isn't quite coming off, but that's okay. It's good that he's trying still. Um, Uh, I mean, obviously, I uh, wasn't, I didn't feel too strongly about it, but a lot of chatter on Twitter, which like I can see was that a lot of people were like, what's happening with Marcelo? Um, yeah, I mean, he's just working his way back from injury, so I, I yeah. kind of give him a pass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's also – he's the real deal. So I'm not too worried about Marcelo long-term. But, yeah, I don't think he was great today – I mean, yesterday. And I just Ramos think kind of too. Like, I, I noted a bunch of times where he just – he does these – you know those, like, long cross-field switches he does? Yeah. They were all off the mark, like, not even close to their target. And it's just like he looks yeah, up, pings it, and it just goes nowhere. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, there's so many other options. Right. Like, if you if it's not coming off today, don't keep smashing it around like that and missing yeah. your passes. Yeah. It's not good. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't have that much else to add. I mean, I didn't think Nacho was perfect, but again, I given that this is a podcast for Madridistas, I think I feel comfortable saying that if there were anyone who was questioning him, I would defend absolutely everything he did mm-hmm. <laughs> to the death. But yeah, I didn't think he was perfect. Just like I didn't think Llorente was perfect, but I thought he he played a good game in the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have that much else to say on 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 best and worst. Actually, no, I think we um, got him all. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So we're going to dump into some non-guaranteed questions. We're going to do as many of these as we can. Um, can't, can't promise we'll get to all of them. So Royaz asks us, um, is it time to stop with the rotation experiments in La Liga, uh, and start our strongest lineup? We again needed a late goal to salvage three points. Isn't it better to start full strength, score a couple of goals in the first half and then bring on the bench players? Hmm. It's an interesting point of view to flip it that way. I don't think I don't think you're wrong, Sajid. I, but I don't know if you're right either, because based on the sample size we have under Zidane, Zidane, the way he does it has worked um, up until now, <laughs> um, <laughs> where we drop points against Levante and and uh, and Betis and Valencia. But I guess, and then almost almost against Catafe too. But yeah, I think. I think there's something there. I don't know. I think if he needs to mash in a bit more of the A squad in these games, um, you know, some people made the point that, yeah, it's Tottenham, it's a huge game, but is that really, is that group stage game really as important as making sure we get the three points? Um, I guess the the counter to that, Sajid, is you only have three subs. So yeah, that and that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, you kind of roll the dice and you say, okay, I'll bring on my three most important subs if I'm losing, and and hopefully I don't have to. It doesn't get to that point. But if I start my my really good team and I can sub out three players, who are those three players I need to rest? I know I think points can be made either way, but I'm, not, I'm I don't know if there's a definitive answer to this. Yeah, I don't. My feeling, Kian and and Sajid, is that this is not the time to start questioning the rotations considering how well they've worked. Um, and that they, look, this is it, to stop this and to start you know, going back to like an Ancelotti style of no rotations is just to begin, um, you know, to, to, I think to vastly overcorrect what has been a, not a catastrophe of a start, but just a slightly off start. And, you know, if Zidane had given up the rotations last season every time everyone asked for it, this that last season wouldn't have happened the way it did. It just this rotation again is is entirely designed to make sure the most important players are fit and ready come uh, March, April, May, right June. That is the most important part of the season. Obviously, each game is important now, et cetera, but. This is what this rotation strategy is is designed for, and that's why it's it's gonna it's got to continue, and you've got to buy in. Um, and yeah. I think Zidane really has, and obviously it worked today. I mean, like they scored right. So and bringing on Isco to to help out. I mean, I might have a quicker trigger hmm. at times. Like I think that's something I, I would I would be open to discussing, but I wouldn't be open to discussing like ditching rotations. Like I just think that the previous few years of Real Madrid have showed in each year why rotations are so important, including right key on the year where Ancelotti didn't rotate at all. And Madrid didn't win anything uh, yeah. because Modric got injured after that cracking start. Yeah. If I had to choose between this and that method, I choose this every day of the week. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, Arka Prabha Roy asks us, um, what do you think about this 4-4-2 system with Ronaldo playing alongside Benz? It, to me, it looks like a good formation considering their understanding inside the box with Vasquez, uh, Ashraf, and Asensio Marcelo dominating the wings. Yeah, I mean, this is if I had, this is where my criticism of the rotation actually comes in, is that um, not only does the lineup change, the scheme changes, and that's fine. You know, I've written a lot of articles in the past about how amazing it is that Zidane has so much tactical versatility and has so many different looks in different games. I'm starting to really believe that third midfielder is key. Um and if you're doing a 4-4-2, because this 4-4-2 was different than the 4-4-2 we've seen with Isco, because Isco roams, and Asensio yeah. didn't. So yeah. this 4-4-2 was much more traditional, which I don't know if is the best look. Um, yeah, Asensio... And it looks a lot like a 4-2-4 on a lot of occasions, right? Like, that's mm. part of the issue. Um, when you're rolling a double pivot, you're really expecting those two players to control all of the center, and that's why the third roaming midfielder is really helpful. Well, here's just, the other problem is that Llorente and Cruz are traditionally both relatively immobile players. Mm-hmm. Like they're not in, they're not dribblers, they're not like Modric or Kovacic. They're they're more of a Shabby Alonso Busquets type type player where they they're very accurate with their passing, they retain possession, and they look up. But then you didn't have that presence in the middle that can do that. Right, the showing for these guys and then able to turn around and beat a guy and then make a pass, right? So basically when Kroos and and Llorente got the ball, they were looking to the flanks. And it was was one of the four players that's mentioned here by by Arca. And all four of those players were really good on the wings. But in the overall scheme, I don't – I'm not a fan of it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, agree. Um, And I'm not sure, like, you know, that – it's, it, I think that Zidane is also playing around and, and seeing what his players bring him, you know, in each match. You know, because again, some of these players are pretty new. So, Ananya Kumar uh, asks us. I'm glad we get to talk about this. What did you guys think about Ashraf? Impressed by his composure and technical ability, uh, Ashraf is showing already like him better than Danilo. Only if he can get better with his crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I. I mean, like, look. I like him because he's extremely young, really technically gifted, fast, and um, composed. That's all great. He's not better than Danilo right now. Like, he's just not. But he, he you know, I would be okay starting Danilo against Spurs on Tuesday. I, I'm not confident starting Ashraf against Spurs, if only because, you know, that attacking line is going to be able to really go at him. You know, Dele Alli and, and Kane and Erickson, these guys are not a joke. And, they're very, very technically skilled attackers, and I, I'd rather have someone who I'm confident playing defense uh, on that right wing. But yeah, I mean, I I love the way he's progressing. I love everything that I saw today in him, and obviously his his what's really cool is that his offensive contribution continues to grow and grow and expand. Like I thought his his technical ability was really on on really evident today, Kian. Well, before the season started, we kind of made a promise that we wouldn't we wouldn't get carried away if Ashraf played great and we wouldn't we wouldn't rule him out if he played bad because he's so young, right. he's so raw. I think we're very satisfied with the progress he's made so far. I agree. I don't, you know, I don't, there's no way you can say he's better than Danilo already. He may, he may have played really well so far and I think the fans' perception of who Danilo was is kind of, it wasn't great um, because they're looking at it in <laughs> the overall... Yeah, well, looking at the overall context, you'd say Danilo probably failed because he, 
you, a lot of people expected him to be the starter. He was incredible with Porto. He was like a right-back version of Gareth Bale. He would cut in score screamers with his left foot. It was just just bizarre that he never turned into that player here. Um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I don't I don't think he's better than Danilo now. I that doesn't mean he can he can't get better than Danilo, and it doesn't mean he's really he isn't really promising. I agree with you against against Spurs. I think you definitely go with Nacho at right back and then Marcelo at left. Yeah, I agree. All right, um, that basically wraps it up for this week. We'll be back to talk um, Real Madrid Spurs on our Wednesday patron-only podcast. You can get access to that by tossing us um, a couple bucks on Patreon. Um, and if not, we have a ton of uh, important stuff coming out this week. Obviously, Kian's Churros uh, uh, y Tacticas comes out tomorrow. I'm sure you're going to be discussing the awesome Betis Valencia game as well mm-hmm. as um, all the other things that are going on in La Liga. Uh, and uh, my Let's Fix Football will come out on Wednesday, uh, where I'm sure Evan and I will talk uh, even in more depth about Spurs and Real Madrid, considering they're both our teams. Mm. Um, so, yeah, until, um, you know, Keon, is there anything else uh, that they should know coming out this week? Um, it's, I mean, the, the next week or so is, is going to be less like featured content and, and very much so match coverage because of the midweek game, right. podcast, pre games, post games. Um, but since you asked, we should do patron shoutouts. Let's do it. Patron shoutouts. Shout out to every single one uh, of our amazing patrons. And we have so many now and we hope that we continue getting more so we can keep investing in the show. Uh, shout out to these patrons in particular because they're $10 plus And one of the rewards is if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Bob Rahal, um, Nick Stefane. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Frederick Sundros, <laughs> Doug Chisholm, Leon Stavronakis, Bjorn Salvador, Jahan Watson, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Bavik Shah, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya, Ibrahim, Kenny Gutzler, Gulet Ishmael, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Stephen Mendes, Andrew Gomez, Anton Hackbert, Jimmy Obeyed, and Daniel Smith. Oh, my God. That's you a record. Rule. That's a so record. Cool. That's so that's so awesome. All Daniel right, Smith, well, I think, is our newest one. Ten dollars plus. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. Uh, and yeah, all of you, you know, feel free to write in with whatever. Um, it's great. Thank you so much. You guys are the reason we keep doing this. Yeah. Um, it's all about very, you. Like, uh, thank you. Seriously. Really is. Uh, I'm psyched that we've gotten to do the extra patron show a week. I think that is. Um, I think that's absolutely a good good way to reward everyone for. Uh, uh, for being so awesome with us over the years. Um, all right, Keon, until uh, Tuesday. Until Tuesday. Tuesday. Wednesday. Wednesday? Wednesday? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever we'll see day mid-week. we don't really record on one of the midweek days. All right, yeah. see you then. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Have you heard? 
Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sports Social Podcast Network.